The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. Part of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but the fools die for lack of sense. From the mouth of the silver comes of the righteous comes the fruit of wisdom but a perverse tongue will be silenced. The lips of the righteous know know what finds favor, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. Evildoers are trapped by their sinful talk, and so the innocent escape trouble. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things, and the work of their hands brings them reward. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. The heart of the wise uh, make their mouths prudent, but the lips promote instruction. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and gossip separates close friends. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. The tongue has power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. Through patience a ruler can be persuaded, and a tongue and a gentle tongue can break a bone. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten to fifth grade and you would like to go to Children's Church, please join uh, the volunteers over by the Kids Zone sign. Thanks, Neha. Good morning. Delighted to see you all. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Continue our study through Proverbs. As I've mentioned before, Proverbs can be a little difficult to study because um, the truths are sprinkled throughout the chapters, meaning it's not like the chapter on anger or the chapter on words or the chapter on sex or the chapter on money. It's normally sprinkled throughout the text. So if you're wondering why we have such a long reading and from so many different chapters, it's because we're preaching through Proverbs thematically, um, meaning we gather up all the verses about words and put them together, and that's what we're working on this morning. A couple of things before we dive in. Um, This is a hard sermon, uh, meaning this, every single one of us is going to be laid low by the end of it, um, because words are powerful, and we have used them poorly, myself included. So even though it's a hard sermon and it's convicting, hang in there towards the end. 
uh, because we, we will see hope uh, in where this is ultimately pointing us. So even if it's difficult for you, uh, please hang in there until the end. And then I'll say this. Um, words are so interesting because uh, the Bible says that kind of def- it defines our religion. And how many of us during the prayers of confession, the silent prayer of confession, how many of us thought of words? I mean, most of us are sitting there like lust and confessing self-control and pornography. We're confessing our love of money. We're confessing our our pride and how we want to be better than other people. And very few of us, if any, confessed about how we use our words to tear down. So it's this odd dynamic where every single one of us are profound sinners on the topic and almost none of us care. You ever heard, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Yeah, the person who made that up is a liar. Let's pray and ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit, and I ask that you would establish your spirit among us, those who are weary and lonely, that you would wake them up to your love. Those who are beaten down and discouraged, that you would comfort them. Those that need a challenge like me, that you would challenge us. Father, please move in our community. We ask because we believe that you will answer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When I put each one of my kids down in the evenings, I have a little phrase or a little speech I give to each one, and I won't take you through each of them. I'm just going to give you one of them, but uh, kind of it's what I see in their character, God already developing, plus like the things I aspire for them to be kind of mixed together. So pulling from their personality and, and ways where I could see that God would use those things. And so I've got five different speeches because I have just hundreds of children. Um, but the one that I say to Connor is the one that I'm going to tell you about right now. The one that I say to Connor is I look at him as he's, we've read stories. I'm just about to pray for him. I've laid him down in his bed and I look him in his eye and I say, you are so handsome and smart and strong and sensitive and wild. And daddy loves you. You are handsome and smart and strong and sensitive and wild. And daddy loves you. And then he sort of smiles and closes his eyes. Can speak life into somebody. Several years ago, Aaron and I were in a very tense season of marriage. And the kind where the other, the spouse can do almost nothing right. Whatever they're doing, you're taking personally. Snarky words abound. Sort of not looking to support each other and encourage each other, but tear each other down. And she had said something to me, which I can't remember what she had said to me, but it was hurtful. And whatever she had said to me, I turned back and looked at her square in the eyes. And I said, you have no idea how cold my heart has grown to you. Out of the same mouth, 
You have no idea how cold my heart has grown to you. You are handsome and smart and strong and sensitive and wild, and I love you. Same mouth, life and death. James 3.8 says, No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. So we're going to talk about the power of words today, the power of words to kill, the power of words to heal, and the power of the word. First of all, why are words so important? Is there a litmus test of our character? Is there a litmus test of our character? They reveal who you are. Matthew 15, 11 says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. It's what Jesus is sort of talking to this group of people who think uh, in ceremonial laws and think there, are food that is clean, there is food that is clean and there is food that is unclean. And if they eat the unclean food, then they will be sinners. They'll be dirty. And Jesus says, ultimately, I'm the one who decides what is clean and unclean. And it's not the food that goes into you that makes you dirty. It's the words that come out of your mouth. It's a litmus test. Meaning, what you say is who you are, according to the Bible. What you say is who you are. And I want to take it another applicational step. It's easy to say kind words to your boss who is far away from you and you want to be kind to because they set your compensation for the next year. It's easy to be kind to people who are far away from you, people at the grocery store, people at CrossFit, people at yoga, people that you're never going to see. It's kind of easy to give them nice words. The litmus test really is how are you with your words for those that are closest to you? How are you with your words for those that are closest to you? What reveals your heart is what you say at 3 a.m. when the baby is crying. When Knox was a baby, he was crying at 3 a.m., I woke Erin up and told her, Erin, your son is crying. Not our son or my son. Your son is crying. What comes out of our mouth defines us. And interestingly, if you think about church and holiness and godliness, and I were to say, be holy to you as Christ has called you to be holy and put his holiness on you, you would think about the way that you envy and covet and lust and steal, the way that you want to be famous, the way that you think you're superior to others. But for very few of us, it would even, we would even think about how we talk as important to our spirituality. And getting control of our tongues may be the battle of our life. Now, you could walk away from this place so beaten down about your words, but that's not the point. Everyone struggles to use their words well. The question is, how concerned are you about that? How conscious are you about 
the impact your words are having on others. Considering sexual sin and substance abuse, is words really that big a deal? James 1 says this, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That means we as a church can be loving the poor and we can be binding up the brokenhearted and we can be sharing the gospel and the love of Jesus with those who are far off or feel so beaten down. But if we don't use our words well, what we're doing here is worthless. It's that important. So as we start, let's look at the kind of words that bring life and the kind that bring death. First of all, words have the power to kill. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. It means not only do they destroy and kill as a sword would have been used for during this, the writing of this, it's that even when you pull the sword out, the wound is still there. It, it's a lasting, destructive wound. Y'all know I love movies. There's a movie, it's kind of an independent film called The Way, Way Back. And it's the story of this shy 14-year-old Duncan who's trying to learn how to grow up, learn how to be a man. And he goes on vacation with his mom and her overbearing boyfriend. The overbearing boyfriend is played by Steve Carell. When the mom falls asleep, Duncan's mom falls asleep next to Steve Carell, who's driving. Steve Carell looks up at him in the rearview mirror and locks eyes and says this, Duncan, on a scale of one to 10, what do you think you are? And this insecure teenage boy goes, a six? Carell says this, I think you're a three. I don't see you putting yourself out there, bud. You could try getting that score up at my beach house this summer. I think you're a three. Has anybody ever looked at you in one form or another and said, I think you're a three? Have you ever looked at somebody in one form or another and said, I think you are a three? Perhaps it's the way that you talk to yourself when you look in the mirror and consider all the things that you are not yet and go, you are just a three. Words have power like swords. And even when you take away the sword, the damage is done. So the question to ask yourself about your words, are those around you thriving or limping because you talk? Some of us, it's rageful words, snarky words, sarcastic words, condescending words, making those around us feel ignorant or crazy, passive-aggressive. But how are you using your words? How are you mowing down people in front of you? Some of us do fine in words to others, but words to self are just ruthless. Taking yourself out to the woodshed, 
saying, I can't believe I'm still doing this after all this time. I can't believe I'm still giving into this sin. I can't believe that I'm still like this. How dare you still be like this? I am the worst. I am a mess. Jesus isn't honored by that. It sounds spiritual because you're taking your sin seriously. But that's not what Jesus sounds like. He says, I love you and I'm with you. I've given you my spirit and stand back up and we can change. We will change slowly over time. But no, some of us use our words to destroy ourselves. I used to struggle so much with that, taking myself out to the woodshed thinking it's only going to be for 10 minutes. It won't have any real lasting impact. But for those of you who have shamed yourself, you know you limp from the words for days. Words have the power to kill. They also have the power to distort. Distort. Here's what I mean. Listen to verse 21. It says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Meaning, not only does the words come and destroy the people around, but it actually distorts the very thing that you're talking about. Distorts the very person that you're talking about. They define them, sort of. Here's what I mean. If you were to call someone fat, or ugly, or stupid... It doesn't just wound them. Of course it does that. It actually distorts and changes the way that they think about themselves so that they define themselves with your words. The words don't just leave a scar. They actually sort of change the DNA of the person that they were aimed at. The words you say don't just do something to someone. It actually does something in someone. So they can kill, they can distort, they can kill a community. Listen to this, Proverbs 16, 28. Perverse person stirs up conflict and gossip separates close friends. Gossip separates close friends. Words have the power to kill a community. In fact, particularly a new community. If you want to destroy what we're doing here, Restoration Southside, barely been in church for two years, still getting ourselves established. If you would like to destroy what we're doing here, gossip. When someone comes to their city group or their women's Bible study group or their men's Bible study group and they share vulnerably about their, their battle with porn or their battle with, with pride or their battle with substance abuse or body image or orders or identifying as gay or having same-sex attraction, when they share those things, if you want to destroy what we're doing, go and whisper it to other people. Go tell them about other. Just kind of casually drop it in conversations because community will be destroyed with gossip. It separates us. It puts us as judge and jury over criminals. And when we're trying to create a place where people can be open and honest about the very things that are the most wrong with them, and they start actually sharing the things that are the most wrong with them, instead of giving them grace, go ahead and whisper about them to others. It will destroy what we're doing here. 
because you cannot have a place where people can vulnerably come and say there's something wrong with me and I need help if someone else is going to take notes and use that against you. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. This can be, not always, but this can be more difficult for women. Don't worry, I'm going to go after men in a few minutes. Aaron has talked about how difficult it is to not participate in gossip. Because you feel like you're in this place where someone is sharing something ugly or offhanded or kind of throwing shade on someone else, and you're there left with this kind of nod and smile and be like, I don't know what to do, I'm uncomfortable. Or you could turn to the person who's gossiping and saying, you are a sinner, and God hath smote thee. And she says, it feels like it's impossible. There's nothing to, you either shame the person that you're de- that's gossiping with you, or you say nothing and let this person who's not even there to defend themselves get hammered. And so we've talked about a way that is creative to kind of let someone know you're not interested in gossip, but to not shame them and ruin your relationship. So if you're in this place where someone's sharing with you and you're uncomfortable and you don't want it to continue, we've said that you could do kind of interrupt them to be like, hey, what's been up with you recently? How are you? What's going on with you? And they might be a little disoriented, be like, did you not hear what I was saying? But you have simultaneously stopped them from talking about someone else, but drawn near to them instead of pushed them away. I want to know you. I want to know your stories. And you sort of said, subtly, I don't want to hear their stories. So I want you to try that. Learn these words. Anyways, what's up with you recently? Community can be destroyed by gossip. And by God's grace and the Holy Spirit, we're not going to do that here. We're not going to do that here. We're not going to say little things like, oh, y'all, we really need to be praying for them. I hear their marriage is falling apart. If you're one of our small group leaders, city group leaders, or men's or women's Bible studies, don't let this happen in your group. We will never be vulnerable about how much grace we need when we're convinced that someone else is taking notes ready to use it against us. So our words can kill, our words can distort, our words can kill community, and lastly, the words kill the speaker. Not just the listener, the words can kill the speaker. It says this, evildoers are trapped by their sinful talk, and so the innocent escape trouble from the fruit of their lips are filled with good things and the work of their hands bring them reward. It's exhausting keeping up with all the double talk and the hurtful talk. Ultimately, it, it isolates you. People will start to learn that, hey, you seem to talk so badly about other people when I'm here. People are smart. I wonder what you're saying about me when I'm not here. It starts to, starts to isolate you causes others to fear you. You can see from what we've discussed that words have the power to kill, to distort, to destroy community, and even to kill the speaker themselves. But that's the bad news. 
there's more. I want you to hear the good news. Words have the power to heal, to heal. Why are words so powerful? It's written into the very fabric of the universe. Fabric of the universe. That's why it's so important. That's why religion that doesn't take into account our use of words is worthless because words are everything. In Genesis 1, it says more than 10 times, and then God said. Words can create and fill and bring life. In fact, words are so serious Remember in Genesis 3, how the devil imposes himself upon Adam and Eve and tricks them? Do you remember how he did it? He doubted God's words. Did God actually say? But words have the power to heal. The Old Testament prophets and and the law, it was all speaking and And God's people just refused to get the message and walk away from the message over and over again. And God says, if they're not going to get the message, I'm going to send my words in a person. In the beginning, the word was with God and was God. He was with God in the beginning. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. Meaning God cares so much that we get the message that he sends his son as the word. Why do words heal? Because we are all built hungry for words. We are built hungry for words. Maybe you can remember a time in your life when someone pulled you aside and put their hands on your shoulders and looked at you and said, I just love this about you. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a grandparent, or a friend, and just looked at you and said, I just love the way that you're so compassionate. I love the way that you serve and don't expect anyone to serve you. I love the way that you're so kind-hearted. I love the way that you work so hard. Can you remember a moment in your life where someone just looked at you and spoke life directly into your heart? I can tell you, you know where you were standing when it took place. It's because we long for that. Words are like, Food and water for us. We need them to live. We long to express ourselves in words. We want to be known. So words are powerful because God used words and the word. Words are powerful because they can heal. This is this. What words heal? True words. Proverbs 10 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. The lips of the righteous feed many. Isn't it good to be around somebody who uses their words to build up? Somebody who gently and thoughtfully communicates what they're thinking with knowledge and insight and gives grace It says, the lips of the righteous feed many. Who is fed by your lips? Who is fed by your lips? So we speak truth. It's like choice silver. It's of value. It's of weight. It feeds others. And we're supposed to speak tenderly. Tenderly. Proverbs 15.1 
says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. First thing I want you to notice, a friend of mine pointed out, he says, notice that he says a, a soft answer turns away wrath, not a soft statement. Answer connotes the fact that the person is actually responding to something that has been said to them. They're just not walking around dropping truth on everyone. It's answer, not a statement. And we learn to express gentleness. Here's how men and women can fail with their words. It's not always true, but can be generally true in my experience of watching people's relationships. Not watching like with binoculars, but watching like being your pastor. Husbands, or men in general, will hurt their person by withholding words. Meaning, she's too confident already, I don't want to build her up anymore. I'm going to withhold my words about how she looks and how she's beautiful and how she's smart and how she's strong. I'm going to withhold those words, sort of not giving them to her, sort of punishing her with this vacancy of words Women, on the other hand, in my own personal experience, women use words to cut down men. You see, he's this king at work, and he's this king with his friends. He's this king at CrossFit, and so he is not going to be a king here. I'm going to remind him how little he is. So I'll cut him down. Now, men can also cut down and women can also withhold words, but I'm trying to express it to you in a way in which you understand that all of us in this room, men and women, use words on purpose to hurt when we need gentleness. It says a soft answer. Gentleness is a prerequisite for speaking with wisdom. Let me say that again. Gentleness is a prerequisite speaking with wisdom. Picture Jesus with the woman at the well. She's lying. He is the truth. She has wrong theology. He is right theology. She's a sinner. He has never done anything wrong. And he's still thoughtful and gentle with her and persuasive and doesn't humiliate her, doesn't shame her. He's tender. The next time you have the opportunity to unload on your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend or on your children or at someone that you know, someone at work, the next time you are right and you have the opportunity to unload and said, what if you showed gentleness? What if you restrained yourself? And then we're supposed to use thoughtful words. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. The wise don't know, just know what to say. They know what to say, but they also know when to say it and how to say it. That means the wise person with their words chooses the right moment of the day and chooses their words carefully. The right moment of the day and chooses their words carefully. 
that means it may not be a great idea to start a fight at 11 p.m. after Netflix. It may be a good idea to say, hey, I know on any other given day this could have been me, but you really hurt, your, hurt my feelings. You see how different that is than how could you have done this? What kind of person are you? But instead to, to come at them side by side and say, I know I could have done this, but this particular time it was you and it hurt me. Thoughtful words, the right words in the right order, in the right moment of the day. And thrifty words, that just means not using words so frequently. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. When words, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. If one gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and his shame. It's saying when one speaks without thinking, they're unlikely to have much to say. When one speaks without thinking, they're unlikely to have much to say. This particularly goes with how we engage with the, the world that doesn't agree with us or doesn't believe the same things that we believe. We're always terrified about that one moment where you're supposed to awkwardly present the gospel and what it is you would say. Francis Schaeffer noted evangelist said, if I had an hour to share the gospel, I'd use 55 minutes asking questions first and five minutes to share the gospel. What he's saying is that you can say so much by the way that you listen and the way that you show compassion and the way that you care. The gospel doesn't take that long to recount. It's part of why the unbelieving world is constantly dismissive of the church. It's because we never stop talking. And I get the irony of that as a pastor. The world thinks, oh, you want to stance against something? Church says, we got it. Oh, you want to you speak against a group or, a, or speak against something? I guarantee you the church has spoken against it. What if we were known for the 55-minute rule where we would listen and love and hear someone's story before we shared the gospel with them. You see how words can bring healing. Words can be gentle and appropriate, but we have to use them carefully and sparingly and thoughtfully and tenderly. And ultimately, it points us to the word. Only Jesus has the power to heal us. First, you have to realize that your heart is connected to your tongue. You say things because you feel them. And when you feel them, sorry, let me say that again. When you feel something, you say it. And because you've said it, you feel it even more. It means your, your words can, can shape your heart and your heart shapes your words. Think about it. If you're constantly 
struggling with your spouse, but you begin to say kind words to them and you begin to say thoughtful words and you begin to engage them with kindness and and, and noticing good things about them, not only will they be encouraged, but it'll actually shape your heart to begin to like them again. You want to change the way you talk, change your heart. You change your heart by staring at Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. If there was one person who should or could, I should say, could speak up for himself, it was Jesus. He could have said, Pilate, you don't know anything, you are nothing. But he said nothing. He doesn't advocate for himself there because he's now advocating for you in heaven. Hebrews 1, long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the opposite of passive aggressive. Those of you who have been in a romantic relationship know that there's this unspoken rule that whoever is the most wrong in a situation when you're in different rooms and you're muttering about each other. The one who's done the most crime, the most sinning, they're the one that needs to leave the room that they're at and walk in awkwardly to the room of the less wrong person. Jesus is the opposite of passive-aggressive. He's in a room, the throne room, having done nothing wrong. And yet, even though he has done nothing wrong, he leaves the room to come to us who have done so much wrong. When you don't get the message, he doesn't ignore you. He comes for you. Matthew 27, 46 says this, Eli, Eli, laba sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Tim Keller says this, Jesus experienced the silence of God so that you could experience the welcome of sons and daughters. Jesus gets ignored, so you never will be. Jesus gets forsaken, so you can be adopted. Jesus gets the doors of communication slammed in his face, so that the gates of heaven will be open for you. John 20 says this, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. The most important three words in English. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Those of you used to watch the old SNL, there used to be this skit on Saturday Night Live with Stuart Smalley. Do you remember Stuart Smalley? You're like, no, we don't have any idea what you're talking about and what's Saturday Night Live. Um, Stuart Smalley would stare into a mirror in this self-help and he would look at himself and he would say, I'm good enough, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. And it was kind of cringy, and you were kind of giggling at him because you realized that you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. Yeah, but it doesn't mean anything because you're the one saying it to yourself. How sad it would be if the final word on us is us speaking into a mirror, trying to speak truth. It's still you just talking. 
But the final word on the topic of you was sad and hopeless until he took those words on himself and he set you free and said, it is finished. It is finished. And when he says that, the final word on you is that you're loved and you're accepted and you're forgiven and you're welcomed and you're brought in and that no one will ever take him out of his hands. That's the final word on you. How do you heal your words so that words naturally flow from the overflow of your life? There's just a couple of practical applications for you to take home and then I'll close this. Repent to God that words in the first place are a bigger deal than you pretend that they are. When you start listing your sins, either in your heart at night, confessing to the Lord, or when you come here on Sundays, repent that words are a bigger deal than we thought they were. Repent to the people in your life who you have hurt with words, not promising that you're going to never do it again, but that you at least see and that you're trying. Plead with Jesus about your words. You, you plead with him about lust. You plead with him about your pride, about your money, about your job. Why not talk to him about your words? And for those of you who are right now hammering yourself, beating up on yourself for the things that you've said, even now you are using words that aren't godly and wise because God doesn't want you to beat up on yourself. When we moved into our house in Lookout Mountain about eight years ago, the boys were like four and one and a half. And at one point, I heard screaming in the other room. And I came in, and Knox, my eldest, had, as little boys do, scratched his little brother Cormac in the face so that you could see the scratch. And they were sort of whispering and fighting about it. Well, I scoop up Cormac to calm him down and to, to try and uh, speak words of life on him and, and try and encourage him and try and comfort him. And after I'm done trying to cur- encourage and comfort him, I turn to Knox and sinfully, I'm like, how could you do this? That's so violent. What is the matter with you? And as I'm sinfully unloading on Knox, Cormac, who I'm holding and comforting, turns and looks up at me and goes, you can't talk to him like that. What kind of alternate universe am I living in where the person who I'm defending speaks up for the offender? What kind of alternate universe am I living in where the the scratched speaks up for the scratcher? That the wounded speaks up for the wounder. What kind of alternate universe do we live in? That Jesus, the scratched, Jesus, the wounded, speaks up for us, the scratcher, us, the wounder. You can't change your words by effort or shaming yourself. Your words will begin to change when you realize the one who could have used words to rightfully condemn you gave you words of life instead. 
when we are given the choice to rightfully condemn someone, when we have been set free by words, what other option do we have? Let's pray. Father, every single person in this room misuses words. Not your son, Jesus. No word out of place. He said it is finished. That the word on us is final. And pray that we would be the people who walk around giving words of life instead of words of death. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that the word on us is final. And pray that we would be the people who walk around giving words of life instead of words of death. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.